Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast. Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast, powered by Exabel. I'm Mark Fleming-Williams. In this episode, I'm joined by Daniel Sandberg of S&P. In our conversation, Dan and I discuss the origins of S&P, his role at the company and the evolution of S&P's data marketplace vis-a-vis its competitors in the market, and various interesting data sets that Dan has come across. FYI, I'm on paternity leave now and have left some podcast episodes to be released through the summer. So in this episode, I'm joined by Dan Sandberg of S&P Global Market Intelligence. Thank you for joining today, Dan. Thank you for having me, Mark. You're very welcome. Um, Dan, you are the head of new product development and research. Um, what is the, perhaps you could just sum up in a, in a kind of, in a little bubble, what, what it is your area does at S&P, what's your role at S&P, where do you fit in? We develop both capabilities and scout new data for S&P Global and for our clients. So um, think natural language processing when I'm mentioning capabilities and, and think textual data as, as an example for when I'm talking about data sets. Um, and it's really the combination of the capability and the novel data that I think unlocks insights for clients. Okay, jolly good. Um, perhaps, although S&P is a very large and familiar company to many, there will presumably be people out there to whom it's not familiar. Um, could you perhaps give a little thumbnail introduction to S&P? I don't know how good you are at the history and uh, how far back you can go, but but kind of an introduction to what S&P is, where, where it fits into the, to the, to the grand schema, and, and, uh, and kind of touching on the scope of what S&P encapsulates. Absolutely. So S&P is a conglomerate of a few different uh, companies. The uh, company in which I work for is S&P Global Market Intelligence. And the legacy of, of that division is bringing essential data, insights, and analytics to clients. And we've been doing that for uh, quite some time. We're still doing that today. Uh, you mentioned history. I, I like talking about the company history. I think it's particularly interesting. Oh. S&P, uh, which most listeners may know, but some may not, stands for Standard and Poor's. And that namesake goes all the way back to uh, the 1800s. So in 1860, actually, a businessman named Henry Varnum Poor effectively created the first supply chain data set, if you can believe that. Henry Poor, which is the P in Standard & Poor's, if that's not clear, um, wanted to help investors understand the emerging uh, railways and shipping routes in the United States. And he basically compiled and published a historical data set of railroads and canals in the U.S. The original data set uh, that he published was uh, two guidebooks, and then he went on to update that annually. So basically the first, the first uh, supply chain data updated with regular cadence. And do, you reckon, do you reckon it was a big event when the new, when the new book dropped and it was market moving? It was, maybe that, that was the speed of data at that time. That was the speed of data. That was that was the fastest. I guess you could you could get it. There was no Amazon Web Services delivering uh, delivering the the original data set in that case. 
Um, and then uh, we also, um, you know, we also had a standard statistics company, which was established in the early 1900s as well. And uh, that firm was compiling all the financial information for non-railroad companies. And the two uh, later merged uh, mid 1900s and, and that gave way to standard and pores. And, you know, um, what stands out to me in that in that story, besides the overlap with some of the things we're doing today, surprisingly, um, is how pores publishing and standard statistics had such complementary offerings and managed to find each other and find synergy in the process. And, and I think that's um, a lot of uh, what's still in the lifeblood of the company today. Fantastic. That's a that's a great introduction. And so what would you see as Standard and Poor's as a kind of big conglomerate? Would you say it has a kind of heartland, like a like a kind of the bit that it that it that it's known for? Or would you say it's 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 a, a whole load of functions kind of uh, equally pushed together? There's certainly some content that uh, is, is more recognizable and, and, and has a deep history. Um, CompuStat comes to mind, which has been around since the 1950s. And uh, I don't know if folks know this, but CompuStat at some point, not in the 1950s, but at some point later on was delivered by CD-ROM by FedEx. So uh, we sent clients uh, on a monthly cadence, the uh, financials uh, collected through that, that product. It's speeding up. It's, we've gone from annual cadence, annual cadence to monthly cadence. We're, we're getting closer to the, to the present. Annual publications probably delivered by horseback to now CD-ROMs <laughs> delivered, you know, by, by FedEx. Um, and, uh, but, but we are also well invested in cutting edge technology. And, and so as I'm sure we'll get into, uh, the firm has a, an alternative data marketplace. We've onboarded uh, both content and capabilities uh, including our acquisition of Kensho and, and our uh, investment in data science. And so we've, we've evolved in some ways from being, you know, more of a, a data company to be now a data science company. Was the IHS market merger, did that contribute as well or was that separate? Absolutely. I mean, um, the IHS merger has, you know, an interesting undertone to it. So for, for listeners, um, that, as, as you point out, might be less familiar with S&P Global. The company has several distinct businesses. Ratings is uh, uh, a big component of the overall uh, S&P Global brand. Mm -hmm. And pre-merger, the ratings division was about 45% of our revenue. I very much um, kind of began my career with, with S&P being a ratings agency. Really, it was kind of Moody's, Fitch, S&P, really with the three, wasn't it? And, and so the, the, the kind of S&P becoming this huge data provider slightly happened um, out of sight for me. And so then suddenly I was like, aren't they the ratings agency? You know, it's, it, I, I, I hadn't been tracking it. So, um, so I'm glad you said that, that, that ratings is very much where it came from. Yeah, um, and it remains a huge part of our business today. Uh, it's a it's a somewhat firewalled and separate separate uh, area of the business that I don't have a lot of exposure to for regulatory reasons. Mm. Uh, but I you know I am familiar with the financials of the firm, and I I do know that uh, post merger the uh, percentage of revenue generated from ratings declined from roughly forty five percent to about thirty percent. And so we really diversified the business uh, in a very well-timed way, I should mention, as, as uh, some listeners may know that debt issuance in general has, has declined over uh, the last 
six to 12 months due to the, the current rate environment. Um, but tying this all into our discussion, it's increased our exposure to the sort of recurring subscription revenue, uh, which is data and insights. And, and so you might interpret our merger with IHS as an increase in the size of our bet around the data business, the analytics business, and um, by extension, the alternative data business. Fantastic. Fantastic. Okay. And that's, that sets us up for you because you are very much, um, you're very much focused on the alternative data business within, within S&P. Would you say your all of your job is alternative data fa- focused or are you do, would, do you deal with market data as well? Absolutely. Market data as well. Um, are, the way I think about it is the term alternative data is uh, it's very media friendly and it's, it's something that... Uh, the kind of thing they talk about on podcasts, isn't it? It's the kind of thing they talk <laughs> about on podcasts. But, but uh, the truth of the matter is uh, there's a very blurry line between uh, what we call or consider alternative data and what's traditional data. Uh, and then, and then beyond that, um, my philosophy is is that the real synergy comes from joining this content together and, and having a mosaic, a blended view, um, with multiple data streams informing the decision making process, and um, uh, that means combining that alternative data with the traditional. What does what does an alternative data marketplace at S and P look like? What's that? What's that? Um, what does? How, how, yeah, how does it look? The alternative data marketplace is a storefront uh, that's uh, available. Uh, users can interact with through uh, the web. So tr- like a traditional website uh, and our content is represented by different tiles on the website where users can click in and uh, see a description of the content, see some sample data, see the schema, uh, under, uh, see linked research, which uh, my team a lot produces a lot of that content. Uh, and understand how the content can enhance and enrich their workflows. And then if it's content that they're interested in uh, exploring further, they can use the marketplace to uh, connect with a representative on our side uh, to trial the content uh, and, um, and and go from there. If it's, if it's of value to them, uh, establish, establish a, a pipe into their into their process that uh, uh, is enriched by that content the data marketplace is is something of the moment to an extent and it's and it's a it's a phrase that you hear a lot um, but so a so a user um, will come to you and browse essentially all the available data which is available via s&p's platform do you um, what 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 kind of data are we talking about Lots of data, Mark. Uh, so <laughs> let's 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 just let's just uh, pick a few data sets if if that's all right. Well, no, no. I mean, just to begin with the scope, are we trying to get? Are you trying to get every everything? Are you trying to get all the all the data that's available on the market and trying to get to your the so you're a portal for somebody to be able to find all the alternative data sets, or are you choosing? Um, ones which you particularly like and and have a good relationship with, or or are you buying the data set? So I'm I suppose I'm trying to get an, a feeling for the scope of the data that that might be available. Yeah, um, I think that's a great question. No, we are not trying to get all the data out there. As a matter of fact, I would say the majority of data out there uh, is is less valuable than it purports to be. I think um, a lot of uh, 
a lot of the, the firms out there, a lot of the, the shops out there um, that have popped up in the wake of the alternative data uh, uh, excitement um, have uh, failed to, to sort of adhere to best practices when building a content set. And so what we've tried to do is um, find the, the needle in the haystack, find the, the best of the content out there and find the content that's going to um, play well with the other data in our ecosystem as well. Uh, then what we do, uh, we, we don't pass through any data. It's not a pass through system. So what we do is we take the content into our uh, ecosystem and we link it to identifiers that allows it to be stitched together with other content. So it could be capital IQ identifiers, QCIP, CEDAW, ISIN, the identifiers that the uh, practitioners in the field are, are used to. And that helps them get up to speed with not only with the content in its own silo, but also understand how it interacts with the other content they may be receiving either from us or from somewhere else. It's it's so it's that kind of iTunes model a little bit where people are in the ecosystem and and so because they're receiving this the, all of this data in a similar format from S and P then it's the then it's 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 essentially it makes it easy you know that that and once you've once you've kind of got yourself in sync with with how S and P does things then it's very easy to then you know find another data set and it'll complement it'll be easily more easily merged with um or, or combined with the data set you've already got from S&P um so it's it's that kind of um standardization which is which is a lot of alternative data is crying out for because there's so much diversity out there and so much complication around that so that's a problem you're you're helping solve is that is that correct that is correct and and I think um as shops consider alternative data they should think about where they want to build value versus where they want to buy value so there are some shops out there that I, I think uh, want to add value by cleaning up messy data. They want content that's not easy to stitch together with, with the other content. They want um, the, the content that nobody else can really touch because that's their advantage. That's their edge. Some shops add value by extracting the features from the content and they go after uh, you know, the newer data where their feature extraction capability isn't as well known. And then there are some shops that add value by combining features into portfolios, uh, understanding the mosaic and executing on the portfolio construction. So you need to know, I'd say for as a shop, you need to know yourself, know what you want from your data. And um, if, if what you're looking for is content that's um, ready for analysis, then, then that's what we are looking to provide. Okay, so what would you say would be your sweet spot in terms of clients? You've talked about so when you're talking about people who want to do all the dirty work themselves because they are they they see that as part of where the value is and that's part of their value added. Um, then that historically might be some of the kind of more established uh, hedge funds with the bigger teams who've been doing this for a long time and and they have the means to be able to do that. Does the fact that we are talking we're talking kind of a next level of you're providing something which is a little bit cleaner and a little bit easier to manage. Does that mean that you're aiming for a kind of mid-market or are you aiming perhaps for a, a, somebody who's a bit newer on the alternative data scene and, and doesn't have a team of them, a team of their own all set up? Well, we sell into the, the whole range. And um, I, I think that uh, the values of the data is of different value to different firms. Uh, so I don't, I don't mean to say that, uh, that, that firms that, 
have the capability of cleaning the data themselves would not find value with what we're offering. Part of the value add that we are uh, providing to clients and, and part of the cost to our content is cleaning that content. So um, one thing that we, I'll give you an example, one thing that we did in the early days of the coronavirus pandemic uh, was we looked at uh, the, um, the uh, connection between the healthcare sector and uh, the uh, different firms in the healthcare sector and what they were providing to the market uh, by way of the approvals they received from the FDA. Now, um, the FDA makes their content available for download for free. The content uh, can be downloaded directly from the FDA website in delimited file format or through an API. But when you want to use the data for investment purposes, where, where, as I have said several times, the investment thesis is often a mosaic of data from several sources, mm-hmm. you need to link that content back. And so what S&P Global has done is um, we have commercialized the linking of FDA identifiers, um, which uh, in most cases are, are not financial identifiers, right? They're, they're um, based on uh, an identifier that's created within that separate ecosystem. But we provide a link for those identifiers back to the common identifiers used in, in the financial industry. And that unlocks now the, the value of uh, that data set. Got it. No, that makes complete sense. So in that in that in, in that example, we have what is essentially a, a freely available data set, which is also unwieldy, difficult to use, needs a lot of work before it's kind of uh, invest investor ready. And and you guys do that work to to then to then um, to then make it available. Um, is that is that uh, are, are they all like that in terms of will it will it tend to be or or uh, I suppose I'm asking. Are you buying in data from familiar names as well in order to in order to to make that available, or is it, or will it always be, yeah, something like the FDA? We have data that's uh, th- that's uh, um, very. Um, we have data that's freely available and open to all, like the FDA, and then we have data that's uh, very hard to get, and we've uh, been able to establish relationships that allow us to get at that data. So, giving you another example there. We have yeah. a partnership with a firm called Scripps Asia, which has earnings call transcripts from Japan and Hong Kong. What a lot of people don't know is that unlike in the United States, where earnings calls um, by regulatory mandate must be open to all investors, in those jurisdictions in Japan and Hong Kong, they can be invite only. Not all of them are, but they some of them can be. And uh, this particular vendor has uh, the relationships on the ground to get those transcripts and, and make them available for those that subscribe. So we've established those relationships. We've brought that content into our ecosystem. And then similar to the FDA data, we also link it to identifiers common to our ecosystem to make it easier to use. And, and so the, you know, the, the value add that we provide spans all the way from simply cleaning and linking. And I say simply, it's not, it's actually not that simple, but we've developed a core competency in that. And we've been able to do that um, um, rather, rather well and with high fidelity, all the way to content that is uh, largely not available uh, on a public Mm -hmm. basis. But through the the way of relationships uh, that we've established, we have that content available to clients. Fantastic. Um, 
so uh, I think that's I think that's a that's a very neat um, summary. So then, so that's the that's the alternative data marketplace um, model because um, you've got or you you have until recently had quantitative research in your in your job title. Uh, where does where does the quant research come into it? The quantitative research is um, it's a process that uh, we execute on top of our data. We use the data that S&P Global commercializes the way clients use it. So we, we think of ourselves as internal clients. And the research is meant to be a proof statement for how the content adds value. But instead of using that content to you know trade our own portfolios, we write white papers and we share the intellectual property uh, that we develop through through the research uh, with clients. We actually we actually share it in the public domain. It's not behind a paywall, um, so folks are are free to uh, to read it, understand how the data is used, and understand the magnitude of the value add and the statistical significance of the value add. And then uh, make a decision as to whether that that data is something that is appropriate for their for their strategy. They can find that that research just on the S and P Global Market Intelligence website quite easily, can they? There is a a landing page that uh, I can provide that will make it a little bit easier. I'm not sure if that's uh, something yeah. we can share as part of this. Yeah, yeah, I, I'll put a I'll put a I'll put the link in. That that should be great. Um, but so and so from so then so then that that idea is to get people hot and bothered about the possibilities uh, that are available with the with the data. So it's kind of it's kind of doing the research in order to advertise the the, the possibilities. Uh, yeah, and it's also valuable for us. So um, the process starts in some cases before we even have the product fully created. So we'll, we'll be talking with a third party provider uh, that um, has, has a really nice demo and a really nice um, pitch, but uh, the devil sometimes lies in the details. And, and so our team disentangles that content and, and does characterization and vetting uh, and some prototyping before we start talking about how we might uh, build a, a full-blown product. And that gives us a high degree of confidence that the products will be successful when they're brought into our ecosystem. And as, uh, as we launch products on our side, we take all of that knowledge that we develop during the vetting process and make it available so that clients can get up to speed quickly. And I should say, Mark, um, you know, we, we do not find the hit rate to be very high. We need to look at about a hundred uh, data sets before we find one that we choose to move forward with. Wow, wow, that is yeah, that's a lot, that's a lot of work. Um, but um, so, uh, Dan, would you feel comfortable opining on um, the other models that exist in the market under the under the name data marketplace because they are they are subtly different. And when I'm when I'm what I'm talking about is. Um, data marketplace is a phrase which has been used by some cloud providers to for 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 what they're beginning to to um, to provide. Um, and then also there are smaller companies that are emerging. I've I've come across two in Europe um, which call themselves a data marketplace. They have nothing like the clout of something like S and P. But it's a it's a um, I don't know if you and and I you know I don't know if you if you want me to name check them. But but you know diff, different ideas of of um, of data marketplaces and um, are you comfortable talking about that and how S and P um, sees its version as being the true one, or or, yeah, or anything around that? 
So I, I think that the common thread with most of these marketplaces is that they're uh, bringing at least one aspect of the process into concordance or, or under one tent. In some cases, that's the distribution. So if, uh, if you're a cloud provider and you allow third parties to distribute through your, your cloud service, and that's where it sort of begins and ends, then you've, you've established some consistency with the delivery. That's great. And, and that's important. Um, but for, for our client base, we find that, that that doesn't go quite far enough. Um, so what we aim to do is to also bring in, into concordance the linking. And then, um, you know, again, in some cases, uh, clients want the fire hose of what's out there and they, they don't really want uh, somebody doing the legwork of, of scouting and uh, stack ranking um, the, the options for them. Uh, and and uh, those folks may prefer a pass-through system or, or something that's that's not uh, that doesn't have any vetting on top of it. Uh, but we find that uh, being able to find the differentiated data and the valuable data that that enriches existing content and existing workflows, um, clients clients appreciate that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It is a. I, I, I think it. I, it comfortably is a different model. Um, so it's a, um, so I can definitely see, I can see space for, for, for everyone to exist in a way, cause there's, cause there's, there's different ways of doing things. Um, but okay. And so your role is you're the head of new product development and research that, that suggests a, uh, a, 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 an eye on the horizon, um, a, a kind of thinking towards where, where are we taking this? Where, where can we take it? Is that, is that right? Are you thinking, are you in deep thought about, um, about where, how, how things will develop for S&P in this space? Every day. Absolutely. <laughs> Does that, but does that mean finding new alternative data sets or is it thinking about new? It does mean new, it means new alternative data sets. It means new capabilities on how to extract the information from those data sets. It means thinking about new ways to combine data sets and um, it, it means new use cases as well. I, I think that um, the, the context of, of this podcast is probably uh, focused largely towards the investment management space, uh, but we go outside of that persona. We, th we think about, uh, our private markets clients and, and investment banking, commercial banking, uh, our, our corporates clients, our professional services clients like legal and consulting. Um, and, and so uh, there's there's a space for alternative data, I think, in, in all of those. What are you most excited about within alternative data? Is that where do you where do you see we are at in terms of the development of alternative data sets? We've come from consumer retail probably initially um and 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 any 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 shops which will have people setting foot in them um and using their credit cards um and we've kind of spread into there's been some healthcare in the last few years where where do you think um the new data sets and the future of data sets where where are you kind of looking so we're focusing in a few areas um unstructured semi-structured textual data has has been uh an area of focus for several years and, and we continue uh, to develop in that area. Thus far, I think we've really focused on legal documents and, and regulatory filings. There's obviously a lot more out there. Um, news and social media and uh, uh, analyst reports all have textual components to them. And um, we're actually um, looking at some research uh, that's likely to be published 
this month or next around the textual component of uh, credit research ratings. So a, a particular firm has a ratings upgrade or downgrade. Is there informational content in the textual data of that uh, analyst report? We find that there is. Um, so stay tuned for that. Um, but uh, but that's an area we continue to develop. Now, I will say this. I, I think uh, the legal documents and the regulatory filings are primary sourced documents. They're coming straight from, from the firm. Then the analysts are producing reports for professionals, and that's a secondary source. And then the analysts appear in, in media outlets, and uh, that's a tertiary source. And then the masses consume that media and post on social media, and that's, that's a quaternary source. So each layer is a bit farther removed and a bit noisier. But to the extent that you want to evaluate public opinion or understand the, the retail investor opinion, uh, and that that won't form your model, then then some of those farther removed sources can prove valuable. I think someone in your team did a history degree because that is a very historian's way of viewing um, source material. You know, if it's if if somebody was at the event and that's a primary source, and if, then if someone's you know read that person's uh, account of the event, then that's a secondary source. And you know, so it's it's, it's you do helpful. you've you've got me. I I'm a bit of a history but, uh, <laughs> got you maybe you could tell that with my uh, historical recount yeah exactly yeah no this is and and, and i'm a i'm a history fan as well so um this is, we're on we're on the same page um <laughs> good but um but so the um so are there have there been any particular data sets which have which have uh, which have interested you or excited you recently have, has there been any any examples you can give of of kind of uh, data sets which have made, made you sit up and and um and, and focus so um i mean we we've uh spent a lot of time on 10ks and 10qs uh uh you know as i mentioned earlier in our discussion um that's a table stake for our firm uh, has been extracting the numeric content from those filings uh going back to the 1950s for a compustat for example but the the textual data contains information too and um, it's just a few years ago, we, we were looking at uh, uh, the filing 10K and 10Q filings, and, and we realized that uh, Apple, for example, included in their risk disclosures, uh, manufacturing disruptions for the iPhone. And that information it didn't appear in news reports or, or really in uh, the stock price of, of Apple for several days uh, up to a week. Now, um, you know, when I think about this, I, I don't think there's anything surprising or, or new in the fact that words have meaning. But what's new um, in the in this particular case is that machines are the ones doing the reading, right? So, so uh, when we think about a 10K, for example, it's more than 100 pages long in most cases. It's a legal document, so it's very dense reading. Uh, and in many cases, the the salient information is nested in either a footnote or an appendix or a sort of legal legal paragraph. And it also it turns out that the, the value here is, is uh, comparing that textual data to a baseline. So in other words, it's not so much that Apple disclosed that particular risk of manufacturing disruption in its, uh, in its 2020 10K, but the fact that it, it was a new disclosure that didn't appear in the 2019 10K. So in order to extract the actionable data, you, the actionable actionable uh, insight, you need to compare two very lengthy and financially and and, and jargon heavy uh, to documents and then uh, difference them. Um, 
as far as going beyond that, you know, we, we aren't focusing solely on the U.S. We've, we've got a product that uh, captures Chinese filings. Now, um, Chinese mainland China filings uh, lack the sh- same structure of, as U.S. filings. They're not as, as uh, uh, formal, but firms are required to report certain events. And we've been able to capture those uh, documents, which are published in, uh, I believe, three different places. Um, don't ask me where they were because they're not, not uh, coming to mind at the moment. But uh, there are three repositories and we captured uh, the documents from those three repositories. We've developed a patented solution to parse the documents and to extract some uh, context and sentiment on the native Chinese language. And it's, it's still messy data. It's still, um, it's still difficult to, uh, to fully implement into a process. Uh, but there is simply just a dearth of information on Chinese companies. And, uh, and this particular product, by the way, is not limited to publicly listed firms, but we also have uh, private companies with public debt. Those firms are also required in many cases to file uh, these same disclosures. So expanding beyond, beyond the U.S. Is, is one area where we see a lot of promise. Um, besides regulatory filings, we also have the transcripts from earnings calls and the team's done an extensive uh, body of work uh, in natural language processing capability development to extract market moving information there. Uh, in addition to sentiment, we also look at things like, is the executive using more direct language? Are they using more numbers to, to show versus tell? Um, and by extension, you know, basically providing more transparency. Those firms tend to perform better uh, following the call. Uh, and then we've we've talked about uh, our partnership with Scripps Asia, where we've extended those earnings calls, uh, earnings call transcripts to uh, Japan and Hong Kong, which uh, which may be invitation only. Um, Fantastic! I can Fantastic. keep going. I can no, keep no, going. no, no, it's great. <laughs> no, it's it's no, it's really it's really interesting. It's really good. I'm I'm just wondering: is, is there anything major that we've missed? Is there anything which you um which which we you know you can't come on the podcast and not talk about it from the SMP perspective? Or do you think we've do you think we've kind of covered the ground that we that we ought to? Um, I you know I would say uh, you asked me about areas of future development. I I think I went off on a bit of a tangent on around textual data. Um, let me also say, yeah, we are focusing on cybersecurity data. Ooh. You know, we didn't really talk about that, but um, knowing your client KYC and, and cybersecurity is is uh, become a, an area of focus. Um, uh, partially, you know, because of uh, the focus around crypto, but um, also uh, you know, just in general, uh, this is less about investment and and alpha, and more about risk and surveillance. Um, but we uh, we do have connections with firms that are are specialized in this area. We have a mm-hmm. partnership with uh, firm BitSight, which is effectively a white hat hacking firm. So I, I don't know if they embrace that label, but uh, I think I think they'd be okay with it. And I, I you know it's fair to say that they're basically looking for the same vulnerabilities as a nefarious actor, but wearing that metaphorical white hat. They are seeking to, um, you know, to address, help the firm address the vulnerabilities and, and also making the public aware um, of, of vulnerabilities uh, when they're making their capital allocation decisions uh, versus uh, exploiting the vulnerabilities for personal gain. 
I can um, see I can see cybersecurity working a little bit like um like ESG is meant to in 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 some theories in that uh, if a company has got its act together enough to have its ESG score sorted in terms of governance and 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 social and whatever um then that's a good sign for the company you know that suggests they've got their act together and similarly if you're if you're if you're if you're protected in cybersecurity then that suggests somebody's doing some thinking up at the top type thing it's very insightful, Mark. You know, we do see a high correlation actually between our governance scores and cybersecurity scores. So I, yeah. I think you're, I think you're right onto something there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then just to finish, just to finish my thought on that particular mm. question, um, you know, we are also focusing on um, data that illuminates the Asia Pacific region and the private markets region, both you know, uh, U.S. and and uh, ex-U.S. Uh, those two areas, I think, um, haven't had as much of a development in, in terms of alternative data and are ripe for, uh, for future growth. Fantastic. No, it sounds like you've got, you've got the world covered and you're focused on the interesting parts. So, um, so it, sounds, it sounds very exciting. Um, but Dan, well, thank you very much. This has, been, uh, this has been a really, I feel like we've, we've gone back to 1860 and we've, uh, and we've filled in all the gaps in between. So, uh, so, so thanks so much. Been really interesting and, um, and best of luck with all those future developments. It was a pleasure talking to you, Mark.